Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. So it's a disastrous World Cup for Africa as all of the African teams went out at the group stage for the first time since 1982. No more African interest. We ask what's gone wrong. We hear from fans in Ghana. But I think uh, the way forward should be that our leaders should psych the team very well, prepare them very well, motivate them very well so that the next time when they come, they'll play their hearts out. Also, Stuart assesses whether the video assistant referee technology is proving to be a success at this World Cup. And we have the second part of our series with Brazil World Cup winner Kaká on his football and his faith. That's coming up later. Uh, So our main business this week is to try to work out what went wrong for the African teams at the World Cup and what needs to be done. All of the African teams have gone out at the group stage for the first time since 1982, meaning that it's probably Africa's worst World Cup ever, as in 1982 there were only two African teams and now we had five. Not even one could make it to the second round. The preparations were generally good for Africa this time. Remember, the Africa Cup of Nations was moved to odd-numbered years from 2013. So this is the second edition of the World Cup where there hasn't been the Cup of Nations earlier in the year to drain the energy of the players. The Confederation of African Football postponed the Nations Cup qualifiers that were scheduled for March of this year so that the World Cup teams could play friendlies against suitable opposition. And FIFA gave the African teams an advantage of $2 million each to help with the World Cup preparations, in particular to make sure that players would not protest over unpaid allowances, as has happened in the past. I just don't know what else could have been done, Solomon. Everybody is really asking the question, uh, what happened? Because based on their performances, it's taken Africa a big, big step backwards. We only had three wins and, and ten losses. It's not like we don't have the potential. We do have the potential, but this is clear that we need just more than money, where bonuses are paid and players are happy. And we also need just more than, uh, you know, conducive fixture uh, for teams to prepare is just more than that we have the potential you know and we need to be able to make sure that we look at it and say okay what do we need to do and we need to do that now and that's the big question okay so stay with us Solomon but uh, let's now get the views of fans in Accra in Ghana speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Erasmus Kwao these guys playing you're almost every player I'm not saying all of them but almost every player that went out there as a professional. So why did we concede eight goals through set pieces? I don't get it. And then again, we lack concentration. How do we get it better for the next World Cup? I think, I think that we should prepare well. I think that the Senegalese team was was just great. I think they should like train better, and they should rather use um, our own coaches, our own black coaches, nor. Um, the white coaches because our own coaches have like the vision and stuff that will help us um, go to the next stage they rather yeah so all of them disappointed yeah all of them. so what do you think can be done differently next time around for the next World Cup do you think Africa will be ready 
Okay, so from my perspective, what I would say is that uh, African participation or our performance this time around was not encouraging. To say maybe this was the problem or not, I can't tell, but there was, there was not much commitment. And I will also say that to some extent, uh, the referees were not that lenient with uh, the African teams, and that also had some effect on and the African team that participated. And that has led to the, uh, to the team not being able to even get to the round of 16. But I think uh, the way forward should be that our leaders should psych the team very well, prepare them very well, motivate them very well, so that the next time when they come, they'll play their hearts out. We're talking about three North African countries, two West African countries. Look at the distribution of the teams. Were these West African nations that went there? I would say, okay, so they play the qualify, and then football is always a game of chance. Whoever performed better than his colleague was the one that represented. So I think maybe the next time things will change, and then we'll have other countries coming on board, and then probably there will be bigger improvement in that direction. I think people, the other teams are playing with full 100% dedication, and they know what they are playing for. They know exactly what they are aiming at, but you you don't see that with the African teams. You don't they, they, they don't know what they are playing for, and I think um, the uh, fact that we are not sending the right representatives to the uh, World Cup because looking at um, the corruption and stuff that have engulfed our football in Africa now, you you know directly that they are not sending the right countries to the to the uh, World Cup. I think in my words, I think we should, we should try and tackle the issues with, of corruption. And when we, 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 we treat that and we have the right teams, the, the very good teams, those who are supposed to be in the World Cup, those who are fit. Well, those are fans in Accra, Ghana, speaking to Erasmus Quell. Uh, now, Solomon, moving forward, what do you think can be done to improve the performance of the African teams at the World Cup? I feel definitely that we need to be able to change our approach to big tournaments. We need to make sure that when we go to uh, you know tournaments like the World Cup, that our approach is to be able to win key games. Our approach is to be able to make sure we're out there and winning. You know, I like the way uh, you know Leon Balogun, the Nigerian defender at the World Cup, puts it. You know, the not, the African teams need to be able to 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 be to play a bit dirty. If I put that in in quotes, not to really play dirty or cheat or in any way but but to be able to understand how to play in this big tournament to be able to say look you can't intimidate me and get away with it uh, you know I would also intimidate you so we need some big match temperament we need to also to have structure we need to be able to have a structure that we maintain throughout uh, the four years between each tournament we, we get this structure right and we keep pushing just so we can get better results Yeah, well, thanks uh, for that, Solomon. Uh, Stuart, perhaps to put all of this in perspective, there's no doubt that the standard of world football is going up all the time, meaning that all of the teams have to keep on moving forward. Otherwise, they risk being left behind. I've listened with interest to all the discussion and particularly listener feedback on why none of the African countries progressed to the knockout phase of the World Cup this year. I understand the disappointment I really do. Don't forget I am from England and we've had a few World Cup disasters in our time. 
But honestly, I was not surprised that none of the African teams progressed. Look at the FIFA rankings, based on the results that all countries have had over the past year or two. Tunisia, 21st in the world. Senegal, 27th. Morocco, 41st. Egypt, 45th. Nigeria, 48th. That's no country in the top 16 in the world and only two in the top 32. So rankings-wise, none of the African countries should have got into the last 16. And also, if the FIFA rankings are accurate, a World Cup of the world's top 32 nations would only include two African countries. I think another issue is the strength of the competition that the African countries get in qualifying. Compare that with South America, where any country which qualifies for the World Cup has to play against Brazil, Argentina, Colombia and Uruguay, or Europe, where the groups are very tough. And strength and depth is another issue. Remember when England and Belgium had already qualified for the knockout stage and they made between them 17 changes to the 20 outfield players but still fielded a team of pretty much English Premier League standard? No African country could come close to that strength and depth. Now, that may seem a bit harsh, but I believe it's a realistic assessment of the strength of the African teams at the moment and the reason that none of them were successful in Russia 2018. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, Painful to hear, but uh, certainly the facts are there. Well, let's go to social media now, because last week we asked for your thoughts on this issue of Africa's worst ever World Cup. And again, we've had another huge response. So thanks to everyone who got in touch. We'll get through as many as we can. Uh, On Facebook, Philip Kanu in The Gambia says, let's not blame the referees. Why do we Africans always find ways to give an excuse or to complain? When a controversial incident takes place, the referees stop the match and watch the video assistant referee. So I think that that is clear. On WhatsApp, Gemo, a Cameroonian living in the US, says, Yes, it was disappointing watching all of the African representatives go out at the group stage. I think they all went to the tournament with the mentality that they can't make it. They didn't believe. They showed too much respect to their opponents. Senegal were my pick, but they fell short due to disciplinary decisions. Hopefully we can do better next time with all of these experiences, says Gemo. David in The Gambia says Africans have a problem of scoring goals. And Mutar Jalo, also in The Gambia, says the reason is due to corruption in Africa. Francisco Dardoma is in Malawi. There could be several reasons, says Francisco, such as the preparations, the approach and strategies employed by the coaches. However, I cannot rule out the contribution of some referees on how they handled their duty in games involving African countries. For instance, the match between Argentina and Nigeria. Some decisions were outlandish, in my opinion, says Francisco. And in all fairness, Nigeria should have proceeded. Also very vocal about the referees in this voice note is Pap in the Gambia. I'm not happy for the referee, the Nigeria Argentine and the Senegal Colombia. I'm not happy for that. That's why I say, may I leave the low the World Cup now. I don't talk any more in the in the World Cup, please, huh? I'm finishing because uh, the, the African is going out. But all the, the, the European and the American Latin is do it like this one. It's not correct. It's not normal. 
Thanks for that, Pap. And later on in the show, Stuart talks about the video assistant referee technology and how that that Nigeria decision, in fact, may well have been a correct one by the referee. Olatunde Adeleka in the Gambia says for Nigeria, uh, the players are just not serious. And I believe you saw that in their match against Argentina. In my opinion, the same applied to the rest of the African teams. They're not serious and the problems, not only the players, but the coaches too contributed to the woe that Africa experienced in this tournament. Amalai Oyake is a football agent in the United States. Uh, for the North African country, says Amalai, it was clear that a World Cup after Ramadan could potentially be a very difficult endeavour. Furthermore, the physical condition of many of the North African players seemed to be a level below what was necessary. Many of the players didn't seem to have the physical strength, but it really points to the growth in strength and conditioning in the European teams. European teams have emphasised and really grown in this area tremendously and it really shows that they've left much of the world behind and so to me this World Cup is a victory for strength and conditioning coaches. Well thanks for that very interesting point uh, there Amalai. Mohamed Aikinte and the Gambia takes a different view. I can quite agree that it's the worst performance for African teams says Mohamed. The main problem for me is the introduction of the VAR which definitely went against the African teams. Without this technology, they could have gone far. And kudos to Senegal and Nigeria for making us proud. So VAR was the main course of their early exit. Uh, John in Ghana says the worst African team was Egypt. They totally disgraced the continent. Overall, I think lack of management was our problem. To Uganda and Asuku Lawrence says, yes, it was surely the worst, and I attribute that to the poor mental strength of the teams, given that most of the deciding goals that African teams conceded were all in the last minutes of the game. In the Gambia, Honourable Dibba says France is the only African team in the World Cup that can make Africa proud because 97.2% of their national team players are from Africa, especially West Africa. France isn't an African country, but we are proud of them. Keep on moving France, says Dibba. Well, interesting. Uh, not quite correct on your figure there, but uh, 13 of the 23 players in the France squad uh, could have turned out for African countries, including Kylian Mbappe, whose father is from Cameroon and whose mother is Algerian. And the final word goes to Joseph Adelino in Namibia. I think the African teams are just unlucky, says Joseph. They know how to play football, but they couldn't handle the pressure at the end of the games. And it's really hurt me seeing all of the African countries go out of the World Cup at the group stage. Thanks for that, Joseph. Thanks to everybody who got in touch with us. And apologies if we didn't have time to read out your comment. Well, this week we're asking on a brighter note, how do you think the African referees did at the World Cup? Uh, so as a bad one as far as the teams are concerned, but how about the referees? Malang Jedou of Senegal officiated the second round match between Belgium and Japan with Bakari Gassama of the Gambia, the fourth official. Other African countries represented at the World Cup among the referees include Zambia, South Africa and Egypt. So how did they perform and do they deserve maybe be to handle the semi-finals or even the final. Give us your thoughts on Facebook. Our page is Planet Sport Football Africa or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. 
Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programs too in our archive. We're now to the second part of an interview from our archives with Kaká, a World Cup winner with Brazil in 2002 and the 2007 World Player of the Year. Kaká is now retired after a career that saw him play for AC Milan and Real Madrid. He played at three World Cups and was much loved across Africa. Also, Kakar's been very open about his faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. Last week, Kakar told us about his memories of winning the World Cup and also how he had a neck injury two years earlier that could have ended his career. Well, in this part, we hear all about Kakar's faith. Stuart first asked how he became a follower of Jesus. As I said before, I didn't have a specific conversion experience. I was born and raised in a Christian home with biblical values. My parents always taught me the Bible and its values, and also about Jesus Christ and faith. Little by little, I stopped simply hearing people talk about the Jesus my parents taught me, because there came a time when I wanted to live my own experiences with God. I had to live my own experiences with God. One of these experiences with God was when I was baptised at the age of 12. This was a very important step in my walk with Jesus. And soon after, many things began to happen in my life where I could experience God in a real way. It makes me happy to read the Bible every day, to study it, and to be in fellowship with God and learn more and more about Jesus. I think that I need Jesus every day of my life. Jesus tells me in the Bible that without him, I can't do anything. What I believe is that without Jesus, we can't do anything. The gift and capacity I have today to play football is because God gave it to me. It's a gift from God that I try to improve on every day, but without him, or if one day he doesn't want me to play anymore, I will not play. The day he wants me to do something else, I will do that something else. And this is why I need Jesus in my life every day. Kaká also explains the difference that Jesus makes in his life. A diferença que Jesus faz na minha vida é que eu sei que eu sempre vou ter vitória. The difference Jesus makes in my life is that I know that I will always have victory. I will always have joy. And I will always have success. This is regardless of the situations I face or will face, because I know that in the end there will be great victory. This brings me great peace, serenity, tranquility and happiness because I am sure that Jesus is in control of my life. I know that he is like a father who doesn't want anything bad for his child and he only wants the best for me and for those around me, including my family. And Kaká was also asked why he reads the Bible and how relevant it is to his life. 
para os meus amigos, para as pessoas que não entendem o que é a Bíblia, é que I usually tell my friends and people who ask that the Bible is like the user's manual that comes when you buy a product. The Bible is like a user's manual because it has everything we need in it. It tells us the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do, which is very fundamental to me. I try to read the Bible every day in order to learn more and more about the spiritual world about God, about Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit, by searching through the Bible and getting to know God more and more. De Deus. Bom, eu preciso de Jesus independente de, de qualquer outra coisa. More than anything else, I need Jesus in my life. As I have said before, I am successful in my financial life and in my professional life, but all this has come from God and is a gift of grace from Him for my life. All that I have I thank Him for, no matter where I stand financially, professionally or with my family. I need Jesus most of all and need to learn more about him. No, I will never stop following him. And Kaká was asked to explain the good news of Jesus in his own words. Jesus makes all the difference in my life. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for our sins. We all sin, and Jesus died to free us from that sin. This is the certainty I have, and that we all can have every day of our lives. We have a Father who loves us and has a plan for us. Jesus came to earth as a man, or God in the form of man, to show us that through the power of his Holy Spirit, we can have victory over evil. This is the truth of the gospel and the good news that Jesus Christ is the one true Saviour. And what would he say to someone who rejects Jesus because they think that Christians are hypocrites? In a discussion with a group of Pharisees, Jesus told them, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When people tell me they reject Jesus because of hypocrisy, I share this verse with them because I believe that if people knew the power of God and the scriptures, they would not reject Jesus. They can really know and experience God. I'm not talking about a fairy tale God. I'm talking about a God that I experience and who changed my life and who changes and transforms my life every day in a very real way. This is not about a legend or a bedtime story, but real experiences I have had and continue to have. Well, that is Kaká, a World Cup winner with Brazil in 2002 and the 2007 World Player of the Year. We have the final part of this interview on next week's show. Finally, on Planet Sport Football Africa this week, back to the 2018 World Cup and to Stuart Weir with a few more thoughts on the World Cup in Russia. And still one of the biggest talking points has been the VAR, the video assistant referee, being used at the tournament for the first time. You did speak a bit about this uh, last week, Stuart, but uh, what are your latest thoughts on this? Pierluigi Colina, the head of the FIFA Referees Committee, said this week that 95% of the decisions made 
by referees in the World Cup had been correct and that with the intervention of VAR, that percentage had risen to 99%. He added that it was impossible to be right from the start, but said, because we noticed things, we have intervened and are fine-tuning VAR and have made changes during the tournament. I also read an assessment of the first 15 large decisions made by VAR, and the conclusion was that 14 of the 15 had been correct. The one that was considered to be wrong was the award of the penalty to Iran against Portugal when the ball struck the arm of a defender. Now, I know that a lot of Nigerians, and not just Nigerians, felt that in the game against Argentina, they were hard done by when they did not have a penalty awarded against Marcus Roja when he seemed to head the ball onto his arm, arguing that it was similar to the Iran-Portugal incident where a penalty was awarded. Now, I think the comparison is true, but the clear consensus that I have seen is the other way round, that neither incident should have been a penalty because it did not meet the criteria of intentional handball. There have been significant and helpful interventions by VAR. For example, Spain's late equaliser in the 2-2 draw against Morocco was disallowed for offside and then correctly overturned by VAR. Similarly, Korea's winning goal against Germany, the goal that effectively knocked Germany out of the World Cup, was originally given offside, but correctly reinstated by VAR. And Neymar's dive, which initially resulted in the award of a penalty, was overturned and recognised to be a dive. All of these were good for the game. And, as I said uh, last week, there is evidence that more penalty kicks are being awarded and that referees are having confidence to give penalties, knowing that any error will be corrected. Offside decisions are very hard for officials to get right in a fast game, and having technology to help them can only be a good thing. Penalty decisions are less easy, and this is not really the fault of VAR. How often do you or I go to a game of football with a friend and disagree as to whether a particular incident merited a penalty? Take the Iran and the Marcus Rocha handballs. Did the ball strike the arm? Yes. Was it intentional? Probably not. Should a penalty have been awarded? That's a matter of opinion. VAR is therefore less helpful with penalty decisions than with offsides, but that is the nature of the game. It's not the fault of VAR. VAR has certainly changed the game. It has taken away some of the traditional power of the match referee, but equally it has produced more correct decisions than we would have had without it. I also think that the management of VAR has been much better than in the trials in England. With everyone in the stadium and viewing on television, knowing that a review is being conducted and what is being reviewed. Overall, I feel that VAR has had a really positive impact in the World Cup. Finally, a word on referees. I have been disappointed with the standard of refereeing in many games. I thought, for example, that the referee in the England-Columbia last 16 game was extremely weak and was often bullied by players. 
When he awarded the penalty to England, he was surrounded by Colombian players arguing with him, and he seemed willing to dialogue with them about his decision, rather than walking away and yellow-carding them. On many occasions, when a penalty has been awarded, it has taken two or three minutes for the kick to be shot, because of several players standing in the penalty area for no reason but to delay the kick. Again, I feel the referee should have taken a harder line and produced yellow card for dissent. Similarly, goalkeepers coming off the line and standing on the penalty spot to delay a penalty, again, I feel that merited a yellow card. Yes, those are a few shortcomings with the referees. Overall, though, Stuart impressed with the video assistant referee technology. Well, that's it for Planet Sport Football Africa for this week. Uh, what a World Cup it's been so far. And on Facebook and WhatsApp, we're asking, how do you think the African referees got on at the World Cup? We've had referees from the Gambia, from Senegal, Zambia, South Africa, Egypt and other African nations. So how did they perform and do they deserve to handle the semi-finals or even the final maybe? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare from Solomon Ashams in South Africa and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.